Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Rev. Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I'm Tara Beth Leach. And I am Mark Quanstrom. And uh, we want to start today by uh, sharing a note I got from one of our listeners. Um, I'm just going to read it. And this is what he wrote. I want to share how affirming the podcast episodes on incarnation were for me, especially the episode on doubt. Often my greatest moments of doubt happen about two in the morning, right before I preach, when I'm somewhere between asleep and awake. I wonder if I believe anything I'm about to preach is true. But then I wake up, pray, get the sanctuary ready, greet the congregation, call the people to worship, preach, and then administer the, the Eucharist. When I myself receive the gifts of grace, I believe again. So I'm in the crowd where this call has saved me. That's a reflection on a podcast several times ago in which we talked about the call as salvific. And I just want to say thank you to those who are listening. And this, this is fulfilling the intention of the podcast. Uh, just just uh, an, a reminder to pastors to what we are called to, to what we are called, and an encouragement for them to keep, keep doing what they're doing. Indeed. And today we welcome Pastor Brian Zond. Um, you know, one of the things that we do on this podcast is we call pastors to leading out of a theological vision with integrity. And there are many pastors that are doing that, and we know that because we hear from them. And there's one in particular that that we're welcoming to the table today, Pastor Brian Zahn. Uh, he is a pastor at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. He is an avid hiker. Uh, he is a theologian and an author with his most recent book, When Everything's on Fire. Pastor Brian Zahn, welcome to the table today. Thank you, Tara Beth, and thank you, Mark. It's good to be with you. So uh, you've been a pastor of, of Word of Life Church in St. Joseph uh, for 40 years or so? Yeah, 41 years. Wow. <laughs> I wow. laugh as I say it. How old is this man? He was... 41 years. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm 64. I'm 64, and uh, I have been pastoring one church, one congregation for 41 years. And when, when, we, when you describe me as founding pastor, it's kind of like, that makes it sound more planned than it was. I'm a product of the Jesus movement, and I, I just had this dramatic encounter with Jesus when I was in high school as a teenager. By the time I was 17, I was leading a ministry that turned into Word of Life Church when I was 22. It just sort of happened. Um, you know. But I've stayed with this one congregation for... 41 years. So yeah, it's been a life's work. And uh, is, I know your story. I've been, uh, I've, I've, I've uh, read the first half of uh, Farewell to Mars and uh, listened to you on uh, several podcasts and listened to a sermon on the difference between the Bible, the church, Jesus, and, oh, what was the fourth? Christianity. Christianity. Uh, Jesus. Go the ahead. church, Bible, and Christianity. Yeah, outstanding help discriminating, if that would be the word to use, between uh, Jesus, church, Bible, and Christianity. Uh, very helpful. 
But uh, if I know the answer to this question. Is the church you're pastoring now the church you pastored 41 years ago? And I think the answer is obvious to everybody. Nobody is. But uh, you had uh, you have had quite the pilgrimage at Word of Life Church. Yeah. Uh, would you yeah. mind talking a little bit about um, that pilgrimage? Yeah, so I'm going to try to distill 41 years into a couple of minutes here. So understand what I'm attempting to do. Uh, the church came out of the Jesus movement. Um, that led us into sort of the charismatic movement, which I describe as good until it wasn't. The first seven years of our church, we were small. So I know it's like to pastor a small church. I pastored a church under 100 for seven years. All right. And then for whatever reason, in the 90s, the church just took off and grew to several thousand. And that was a, it was a fun time. That might be a word to use to describe it. I mean, when for like, you know, a few years, virtually every Sunday was like record attendance. That's a trip. And that was fun. Um, that led us then into, as we came into the new millennium around the year 2000, that's the time I'm also turning 40, I began to be just discontent. I was not, the, the Christianity I was experiencing at this time felt thin, weak, uh, very consumerist way to American. Understand this, understand that by the metrics that most Americans like to measure success in ministry, boom, we're, we're knocking it out of the park. Big attendance, lots of money coming in, big staff, all of that sort of stuff. And yet I was feeling discontent, dissatisfied. Uh, and so this, I didn't know what to do about it. It wasn't a crisis of faith regarding Jesus. It was a crisis of faith regarding the Christianity that I knew. I just felt like Jesus deserved a better Christianity than I knew. And so I didn't, I didn't quite know what to do about it. So my thinking was, well, I'll just back up as far as I can. By that I mean, you know, I was... I was acquainted with Scripture, but I started for the first time to, in a serious way, read the church father. So that was me backing. I'm just going to back up to the beginning of Christianity. Yeah, I know the New Testament, but now let's, let's read the earliest Christian theologians. We call them the church fathers. And so I just kind of started, you know, I just started with Polycarp, and I just worked my way towards Irenaeus, and, you know, all of that. And and I did that for about four years without too many people knowing what I was up to. I was doing that and also reading philosophy, which I just always had an interest in, but I thought, okay, now's the time for me to, to really go into that. So I'm reading fathers and philosophy for about four years and not doing any, I'm just, you know, it, it's, I'm learning. Um, then in 2004, I, I just reached a crisis point where I thought, well, something's got to change here. And lurking in the back of my mind was this idea that I could either just coast, you know, the church is big and all of that, and I, I know how to preach sermons. That's easy. I could just coast, just, you know, just enjoy life and coast, 
or I could go for it. And I wasn't even sure what go for it actually even meant, but I just knew that I had to try to, would I dare to try to bring the church into some of this that I was discovering? And I began, this is, this is crazy stuff. I'm not recommending this. I'm not, I'm just telling you my story. I began the first 22 days of 2004 doing nothing but praying, fasting, preaching at the appointed times, and sleeping at night. I didn't do anything else. I didn't go anywhere else. I found out you could drive back and forth between my house and the church for 22 days without having to fill up your car with gasoline. I just, that's all I did. And I didn't eat. Uh, I was fasting. Uh, I'd lost, I mean, I got down to like 130 pounds. And, um, and people were worried about me. They thought, you know, is he dying? And one since I was, I mean, kind of the, the whole first half of life experience of ministry was really beginning to just fade away. And so I began to have some breakthroughs in discovering what I would call the very best of, you know, contemporary, modern, 20th century theology. And so I just began to immerse myself in a lot of what I consider some of the best theological works of our time. And this really began to change me, and it began to change the way I preached. Uh, and we began to make changes. And I know we're, we're on a theme right now about soteriology, and we can talk about that because I changed how I emphasized that. Uh, but just, just to maybe sum up this little section here, as I really did begin to make changes, there was some rumblings, there was some misgivings, but the thing that cost me was when I began to critique uh, the nice, easy alliance that American evangelical Christianity had with uh, the American empire. And when I began to bring that kind of critique, that was just too much for a lot of people, and we lost well over a thousand people over a period of three or four years, and that was hard. It wasn't just hard like, oh, yeah, it's a blow to the ego or whatever. I'm not talking about that. It was, these were people that we had done life with, that we knew, that we loved, that I had maybe led to the Lord, baptized, married, baptized their kids, married their kids, and they were leaving and some of them saying unkind things. And so it was very painful. Um, we made it through. It took a long time. It was harder than you think. But we did eventually arrive at a good place. But there was a price to pay for that. Now, today, honest, I'm not, I'm not just trying to put a brave face on it. I'm as happy as a pastor as I've ever been. The church is in a good place. It's healthy, strong, doing well. But it was hard to get there. So if you want to back up at any point and start asking me about specifics, uh, we can do that. But I just want to kind of give an overview that you asked me if I've pastored the same church for 41 years. Well, in one sense, yes, in one sense, no. You know, the church has really changed over four decades. And uh, so that, that that's a thumbnail sketch of a little bit of the story. So you pastored a, a church that was probably incrementally growing for about nine years. You pastored a church for seven years that was under 100. Then it, then I, you said for whatever reason it started growing. Um, for whatever reason. I don't usually hear that from pastors of churches that grow really exponentially for whatever reason. They usually can. I, I still, I mean, I have some ideas about what happened, but still a lot of it's a mystery to me. All right. I just wanted to, I just wanted to thank you for that. And I also wanted to thank you for uh, acknowledging at the front end that st uh, st starting founding the church, it was a word you're not 
comfortable with that that uh, it. I mean, it's not that it wasn't intentional, but that it kind of just happened. You were following, and just, this is what yeah. happened, right? You know, we choose. I mean, on November first, nineteen eighty-one, we began meeting on Sunday mornings, but the entity had been existing for a long time as a as a Jesus movement era coffee house, and we just sort of recognize, oh, we're kind of really functioning as a church. Maybe we'll take the leap and start meeting on Sunday mornings and actually call ourselves a church, change the name from catacombs to, that's because that was the name of the coffee house ministry, to uh, Word of Life Church. Although the catacombs would be still a cool name for a church. But, <laughs> but no, we changed the name. And, but so, so that there's, a, in one sense, there's an arbitrary moment that we say, okay, now we're a church. But the thing was already functioning and existing before that. All right, so then it grows to you say about about two thousand folk. It grew up to about it grew to around two thousand folk regular. I mean, I mean, I can. I mean, those are great days. Those are fun days. We went from being under a hundred people in an old broken down Methodist church building at Eleventh and Sycamore to moving into a two thousand five hundred seat sanctuary that we built in seven years. That happened in over seven years. That's not very long to go from tiny little thing into the and, and and so that was I look back on it and it it seems like I, I lived that. I went through that and it was exciting, it was thrilling, it was fun. It belongs, I think, to my youth in one sense. I was in my thirties when that was happening. Um but but the trajectory that put us on, I couldn't stay there. I mean, if I if if I'd had if I was trying to be pragmatic and practical and just have quote success as the ultimate telos of what I was about, I would have just stayed on that. Of course, it would have cost my soul. It, it would it it would have ruined my soul because you can't you can't unknow what you want to be true to yourself. So once I began to feel this dissatisfaction. I think I need something richer, deeper, fuller, more historic, more connected to the great tradition, and then began discovering it and began discovering a, a much more robust theology. That puts me in a place where I have to make decisions. Am I going to preach from that place? Or am I going to preach from, you know, sort of the, the, the Americanized version of the gospel that made us popular and successful? And I want to stress something. I always operated in good faith. I mean, I was I was just learning as I was learning. So when when I was in my thirties, pastoring this big growing church, I was doing the best I knew how. I would look back now and say I had a lot of bad theology, but you can do bad theology from good faith. It just it just it's just what I knew. I didn't know anything else. And I've often wondered, was there a way for me to, from very early on, to go where I was, theologically and otherwise, to where I am today in a more direct, quicker route? And I don't think so. I just think I had to go through that journey. Uh, the crisis moment came in my early 40s when, okay, I am finding something that is better theologically. And so what do I do with that? Do I just keep that as a secret or do I try to pastor from that place? 
And I made the decision, no, I'm going to be true to myself. I'm going to be true to what I feel the Spirit is showing me. And I did so at great risk because we could have lost everything. And I went through a 10-year period that was a very strange season. It was, it was, in one sense, one of the most exciting times of my life. And I want to say that's true with my wife, too. We were doing this together, Perry and I. And I wasn't bringing her along. She wasn't. We were just together. We were just right together through this. And in one sense, we were more excited about being a Christian than we'd ever been because we were discovering, in one sense, what we've been really looking for all of our life. I mean, we were captured by Jesus as teenagers, but then didn't have really access to a better theology. And so we, we may do with what we had, but when we found it in midlife, uh, it was thrilling. It was exciting. And so that was the best of times sort of scenario. But it was, but preaching and pastoring from that caused us to lose so many people uh, that, that it was genuinely very painful. And I didn't, you know, I kind of wondered, am I going to survive this? I mean, emotionally, am I going to survive this? Uh, can I can I make it through this period of time where just, you know, every Sunday you just feel like you're just dealing with more and more criticism. So I went through, I had I had the experience of of exponential growth. And then I had the experience of just the long, slow attrition where it's every Sunday. Well, who's going who's to leave next? Who's going to say, well, this is our last Sunday. We're gone. And it was just it was like blow after blow after blow. So. There was never a moment where we doubted whether we were doing the right thing. We, were knew, we knew we were doing the right thing, but it was costing us dearly. And I, I don't know what else to say about that, but it, it, was a, it was a wonderful time and a terrible time. You know, it's, it's Dickens. It's the best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, can't, I can't say which was more powerful. What we were discovering was great, thrilling exciting but then the pain of of people that you've done life with walking away because you've been misunderstood i was preaching from a place where you were going to have to decide which framing narrative was going to be more dominant in your life uh the version of the kingdom of god that i was preaching or um you know, something you're getting from somewhere else. And much of the time I lost that contest that I just couldn't help hope to compete with that. And so that was a very painful. It took us 10 years, 2004 to 14. By 14, we were okay as far as the church. The church was stable. You know, it's beginning to turn around. We've, we've kind of, we've, we've successfully transitioned the church into a different, new, better theological place. But Perry and I were still wounded. And I don't think we knew how wounded we were until we took our first sabbatical, first break that we'd ever had in ministry. I mean, I would, we would take a vacation, but I hadn't missed more than one Sunday preaching in 35 years. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. I'm not boasting about that. I'm just telling you the story. And so we had just gone at it for 35 years without really any kind of break. And then we took a seven-week break, which some people say that's not a sabbatical, but for us it was. If you've never had more than one week off, seven weeks is a lot. And what we did with that seven weeks is we walked Camino de Santiago. 
from Saint-Jean-Pierre de Port, France, to Santiago de Compostela, Spain, 500 miles across northern Spain on this ancient pilgrim path. And without, without hyperbole, without exaggeration, I just want to tell you the fact. I just look at this camera and tell you the fact that we began that on September 14th, 2016, Holy Cross Day, two deeply wounded souls. And 40 days later, 500 miles later, we arrived in Santiago and we were healed. I don't know exactly how that works or why it worked, but it absolutely did. We, that 40 day, 500 mile, and that's all we, all we do is we just, everything we had, we carried with us and we walked 12 to 15 miles every day. And that exercise, that practice healed us. And we, we came back well and have been well since. Thanks for your vulnerability. You know, one of the things that I'm reflecting on is, so at some point in your journey, you realized that you were leading out of a theological vision that was not integrous, uh, that was anemic. And you began reading the early church fathers. Um, you began reading other theologians. And you realized, oh my goodness, what I'm preaching is not the fullness of the kingdom. What I'm preaching right. is not as robust as what I believe Jesus is calling us to be. And I'm wondering if you could just add some color for that, because we have listeners uh, who are pastoring all over the country, and um, many pastors like me who have been following you since, you know, I've been following you, Brian, since probably 2013, and following your story and your preaching, and I've been able to even um, preached one Sunday in your church. And so... Um, I'm very familiar with your story, especially from Water to Wine, which is was was really healing for me, by the way, years ago as I was going through my own um, church trauma and pain. But I wonder if you could add some color of just this version yeah. of Christianity, because, you know, you said something, um, you said, you know, so I stood before the congregation and I said that we are going to leave the charismatic tradition. And I think I think what you mean by that was aversion or a very particular stream of the charismatic tradition. You don't mean charismatic yeah, as a whole. What yeah. I said was I'm gonna check my bags. And okay. that means Yeah, that meant I was gonna take some things that that I felt were good, but by by the time we're talking two thousand four, uh the movement itself was deeply infected with celebrity, consumerism, uh, a form of avarice, and definitely a uh, unhealthy conflation of the kingdom of Jesus, the, uh, the ostensibly the kingdom of Jesus, with uh, an American agenda. So, you know, Christian nationalism, that sort of thing was just part of who we were because that was just, that was just the trajectory that we were on. So, I mean, what happens is I began as one who had really had a, a life-altering encounter with Jesus Christ. And I look back on the Jesus movement fondly. I mean, it may have had its flaws, and certainly it did, all revival movements do. But for me, it was, it was how I encountered Jesus. And I led and preached and pastored from that passion of encountering Jesus in such a marvelous way but the theological resources that I had there were not adequate 
to continue for really a lifetime in a healthy way below the congregation. And so if we want to talk in terms of soteriology, what I inherited was basically what I would call heaven and hell minimalism, where salvation was really about um, getting your ticket into heaven. That, that that's what really mattered was was get your ticket to, to get into heaven when you die. And through reading Stanley Hirewas and N.T. Wright, so many others, I began to, for the first time, really understand what we mean by the kingdom of God. That this is that the kingdom of God was the only thing that Jesus ever talked about. That his entire life and ministry was an announcement and an enactment of this alternative society that Jesus tended to call the kingdom of God. And this is this, this alternative arrangement for human society that breaks in from heaven into the world through Jesus Christ. His life, his message, his death, his resurrection. And when I began to see that, that changed everything that it wasn't so much about getting people you know, to heaven when they die as it is living into this alternative society that Jesus was announcing, inaugurating, proclaiming, and that we are supposed to embrace. And so that was a, that was a profound shift. Yeah, so, you're, so the attrition is happening over years. I think you said four years or five years. Okay, uh, we're coming to the end of this. Yeah, we're coming to the end of this particular podcast. But I'm curious, what kept you in? What kept you? What What kept you in pastoring a church? Well, to be honest, I'm going to just. I'm not going to give you what I think should be the answer. I'm going to tell you what's honest. This is this. This is honest. Perry and I, we have we have three sons. They're uh, three, you know, grown adult sons. Those are our three children. Um, but we have always talked about we had we have three sons and one daughter. And our daughter was the church. And I'm not I don't know that a pastor should necessarily think of their congregation as like a a child, as one of their family members, but that's we we birthed it. We and and they're to walk away would have been so easy. I could have Believe me, there were plenty of churches that were interested in having me, okay? And it would have been so easy, but it would have felt almost like abandoning a child. And so what what kept me trying was I just, I, I couldn't walk away from that which we had birthed and given our life to. And so we had to try. We had to try. And we, and we succeeded, I say more or less, we lost half the people. Uh, and, you know, I'm in a town of 70,000 people, and we had, you know, three or 4,000 people, and then we lose half of them, which means you see them everywhere. <laughs> and um, so that, that was part of the pain. The pain is no more, there's not pain anymore. And I think what happens is people were leaving in like in 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, I, quite how to process what I was doing. And for many of them, the only way they could see it was, well, Brian's become progressive. He's become liberal. He's become emergent was the term that they might have used then, which in all honesty, 
at when I first heard that, I didn't know what that was. And I, and I certainly didn't feel like that's what I was doing. I wasn't, you know, embracing some other ism or some other side of a theological, political, social spectrum. I was just finding a deeper, richer theology and living into it and preaching into it. Um, but I would say that most of the people that left, you know, that are still here in, in our little town of St. Joseph, I think today, I mean, they've found other church homes and amen, that's what you do. I think they thought that, you know, in 2006, let's say, I think they thought, you know, within a, within a year, you know, BZ will be a atheist or a Buddhist or who knows what. And here it is low, you know, 19 years later, and I'm still just talking about Jesus. And I think most of them recognize that. I think they would say, yeah, I don't know that I agree with all that Brian Zahn is preaching and teaching and doing these days, but you know what? He does talk an awful lot about Jesus. And so th there is some, I think, level of vindication there that that maybe it's, maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's appropriate for me to describe it in those terms, but I think that's that has happened. All right. To paraphrase, if you describe the church as uh, your daughter, uh, you couldn't leave because you loved your church. We loved the church. We loved the people. We loved those that were coming with us. And we just loved the, I, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's hard to walk away from what you've given your life to. You know, how do you do that? I mean, I, sometimes you have to. I, I get it. I understand. But for us, uh, we felt like no matter how painful it was, it was incumbent upon us to try to keep this thing happening. And my goodness, I'm so glad we did. Because today, you know, today we, we are enjoying the fruit of going through that very difficult time. And it, I'm going to tell you, but it was hard. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, I went through a period of time where, I, where this is not right. This is not good. But I would preach on Sunday morning and just walk off the platform, go to my study, sit there for a little bit, and then go home. Because I just couldn't any longer handle uh, the criticism and the attack that I knew I was going to get. That I'd get done preaching, I'd just brace for it, and then people would come at me, and I just endured that for us. And I thought, why am I putting up with this? And so I would just, I would just, you know, hide. I, I, a pastor should not do that, but I, there's enough space I can say I was just doing what I needed to do to try to make it through. And it it wasn't until it wasn't until we'd walked that Camino that I realized, you know what, we're we're through that period. And Brian, you don't have to hide from it. That everybody that's angry at you and wants to criticize you and hurt you, they're long gone. Everybody here loves you now. And so, and so, you know, that changed. But it was, it was that real and it was that difficult. And in me saying this, this is me, I'm not a terribly, I'm a rather private person, actually. You know, you can be a public figure and a private person simultaneously. That's how you do these things. Um, I don't think anybody other than Perry knew at the time how deeply we were hurting. Um, our kids didn't, our staff didn't, our church didn't, because we put a brave face on it. And we just thought, we're not going to show that side. And I think that's what we needed to do to be leaders, to be pastors, 
but it, there, there were, we had a few friends. We had some friends that we shared this with, other pastor friends from around the country. But um, so for me to talk about it now is uh, there's enough space that I can talk about it. But but we weren't trying to win people's sympathy. We weren't we weren't interested in people feeling sorry for us. We just we were hurting very much, but we kept that to ourselves. I don't know if that's good or bad, but that's what. We did. What an honest and transparent conversation about navigating this season of ministry with Brian Zond. You know, it's never easy to walk through this kind of transition in a church. So next week, we'll pick back up and hear more from Brian about how their church's renewed understanding of soteriology influences how they do church now.